I'm Lale Manjikian, and I conducted qualitative research for the Armenian Diaspora Survey Project here in Montreal. Being qualitative researcher for ADS was such an eye-opening and enriching experience. I was able to meet and connect with a number of new people, be it fellow researchers or interview respondents. Taking on this role also allowed for me to get a better sense of the Armenian community here. I'd say that engaging in interviews and exchanges about Armenianness brought to light the complexity and beauty of Armenian identity formation and also brought forth thought-provoking ideas and soul-searching questions both for the respondents and for myself. I ended up conducting in-depth interviews with 24 respondents who identified themselves as being Armenian. Besides having respondents address how they define their Armenian identity, how they view the importance of the Armenian language, religion, and church, it was refreshing to be able to openly explore topics that are still considered taboo by some, whether that is the role of the church in the Armenian community, same-sex marriage, mixed marriage, and the existence of Muslim Armenians. Hello, welcome to Zanaz Sounds. I'm Dr. Susan Patty, the academic advisor at the Armenian Institute, and also currently working with the UK team of the Armenian Diaspora Survey. I'm doing the qualitative interviews there. On this podcast, we're hearing from people who have worked with the survey in different places, such as Dr. Lale Manjikyan, whom you just heard talking about the Montreal survey. We'll also hear from Dr. Pamela Young, who led the Boston team in 2018, and Lucila Tusunyan, our interviewer in Argentina in 2019. I was the leader of the pilot project, which began in 2017 with a meeting called by Dr. Rasmik Panosian, He's the director of the Armenian Communities Department at the Kalust Gubenkian Foundation, which actually funds this whole survey. Rasmik felt there was an important gap in our knowledge about the diaspora and wanted to discuss how to fill that. A group of scholars who have done work around the diaspora were gathered to brainstorm and come up with a plan. Like any good committee, there were many ideas and much discussion and compromise before a format could be agreed upon, but we were able to start in 2018. The purpose of a pilot project, of course, is to learn how to improve, and we took advice from more people, and especially from our respondents. These ranged from the obvious, the questionnaire at 100 questions was way too long, to thoughtful pleas such as, it's 2018, why don't we have a question about LGBT identities? All of these were considered in reworking the project before its continuation in 2019. And before we hear more about the cities that were visited, let's hear more about the survey itself as it evolved at that point.
Dr. Hiraj Chiligirian joins us now. Hiraj is a sociologist at Oxford University and is the director of the Armenian Diaspora Survey. Hiraj, since you took over in 2019, we've had major events and ruptures throughout the world, including the Armenian communities, of course. Somehow the survey teams have continued and a bit delayed this year, but amazingly, you've worked through this difficult transition and continued with the survey. You might touch on some of these problems later on, but let's start out by talking about the survey itself, its purpose and why and how it's being done. The Armenian diaspora study, uh, I should say in general, it is study of public opinion in the Armenian diaspora communities around the world. It is not census or uh, extensive ethnographic study but we study public opinion. What do Armenians in the 21st century living in different parts of the world think about a number of subjects that are relevant uh, to their lives and to their communities? And the main purpose is to inform the public, scholars, and policymakers, community leaders about the issues attitudes and trends that shaping Armenian, the Armenian world uh, in contemporary times. Hiraj, could you tell us a bit about how the methods are used, what kinds of methods you're using, who's carrying it out? Yeah, primarily we use uh, two kinds of tools. One is the quantitative uh, method, which is uh, primarily the questionnaire that we distribute uh, in the local languages. And so far we've uh, deployed it in about 10 languages. And the second is the qualitative uh, tool or approach, which consists of uh, in-depth interviews with uh, 25 to 30 people. I want to mention here, uh, Dr. Haik uh, Guzelian, uh, he's our survey methods advisor and he manages the survey design and methodology. Uh, Haik is a wonderful expert. Uh, he has managed large scale surveys and research projects for uh, international organizations for some uh, 20 years. So he comes with a very strong experience and uh, vast knowledge. Yeah, Haik is a great member of the team. It's, it's interesting how many people are working together on this. As you've mentioned different advisory committees yeah. and everybody brings a piece to the, to the yes. party basically, yeah. I should mention that in 2019, we had over 100 people who were involved with the research mm. on one level or another in the four communities that we did the uh, survey. That's super important. And perhaps you could tell us a bit more because I think this fits into the question about how field work is organized in each place. Yes, very important. Indeed, the success of the field work uh, depends on engaging the local community uh, on a large scale because coming from outside to, to do research might not be conducive uh, in these kinds of research. So we use three main uh, strategies to do that. Number one, uh, ahead of the launch of the research, we uh, 
communicate, engage, and discuss with all local community organizations. We explain to them what the project is, what is the value for them. Uh, and that includes churches, charitable organizations, clubs, and so on. Secondly, we uh, appoint a local academic and professional advisory committee, uh, people who know the country, the community, they work, they're professionals, they're academics, and they help us with the various uh, issues and uh, uh, solutions along the way. And third and most important, I believe, is that we recruit and hire local researchers who know the community, who are experts in their field, uh, who know the languages uh, and the contours and the nuances uh, on the local level. And they carry out the actual uh, research under our central supervision and uh, constant guidance. What do you think are going to be the next steps? Do you, you want to tell us about where, where you've been, where we've been, actually I'm part of this too, and where, where we're going. Uh, also, uh, I think one thing we haven't talked about yet, Hirach, are the themes that you are addressing. So perhaps that could be a place to start and then where, yes. where you're going yeah. next. Uh, we have main, uh, five main areas of or uh, themes of exploration in our research. And that includes uh, identity, language and culture, religion and spirituality, community and political engagement, how people are engaged on that level, uh, and relations with Armenia and Artsakh. Uh, this year, because of the COVID pandemic, and then the second Karabakh war, we've added two sections to our questionnaire. So a section on the COVID pandemic, how that affected people. And the second uh, additional section is uh, the Artsakh war uh, and how that had an effect, what people are thinking about uh, the various aspects of that war. So this year we have uh, about seven main themes that we are exploring. Now, as you know, we started with a pilot project in 2018 uh, to test the possibility of doing a major study like this. And at the time it was done in uh, Boston, Cairo, Marseille and uh, Pasadena, uh, and uh, it was uh, quite successful. We had about uh, 1,000 uh, respondents, uh, and we also learned a lot about uh, doing research on that scale uh, in the diaspora, which is different uh, in terms of methodology and approach if you're studying uh, a general society. And following the pilot, as you know, uh, we developed a three-year project. And now we are in the third year of the cycle. So in 2019, we did in Argentina, Montreal, Lebanon, and Romania. In 2020, we were supposed to do what we are doing now, but because of the pandemic, 
uh, we postponed it several times, but uh, we realized that uh, the pandemic and the limitations were uh, far beyond uh, our expectations. So in two, uh, 2020, we didn't do the research, but we came back uh, in April of this year and relaunched it in Belgium, Britain, Paris, and Rostov-on-Don in Russia. Later this year, in September, October, we will return to North America and our plans are to do the survey uh, and the research in New York, New Jersey, Michigan, Toronto, and Los Angeles. That's great. I wish I could be in each of those places. <laughs> yeah. I think it's important to let people know where they can find the information about the Armenian Diaspora Survey, because, because there's a lot available. The results of our research is available on our website, armeniandiasporasurvey.com. We have published separately the results of the pilot 2018 uh, survey in a book, as well as another publication of the 2019 survey, which is also available in English, Armenian, and Spanish. Also, I should mention that the data and the research that we are collecting is available to scholars who want to do more in-depth analysis of the research. It's really been amazing, these results that have come in already. There's a ton of interesting information which is available where Raj was just saying. Some of it kind of new and some of it expected. It's a, it's a very interesting combination of things for those of us who have been in a lot of different communities and many of you have who are listening to this, of course. And for those of us who study these communities, there's still new things to learn. So it's, it's a great tool that's being created and is available as, as Haraj has explained. And now we're going to go on and hear from a few of the field workers and about their experiences and the things that they've discovered in Montreal, Buenos Aires and Boston. <laughs> Lale Manjikian returns now to tell us more about her findings in Montreal, a city of some 4 million people with an Armenian community of roughly 40,000. Montreal has had continuous waves of new immigrants and supports three Armenian day schools, community centers, seven churches, including apostolic, Catholic, and evangelical, and a variety of other organizations. What struck me most when speaking to the respondents was how many of them formulated their Armenianness in their own words and on their own terms, without necessarily abiding by archaic and rigid institutional formulations of what it means to be Armenian and the practices and expectations that come with it. I was asked to share a few quotes here with close to over 50 hours of audio recordings. There are many quotes to choose from. So here is just a very small sample. 
I asked about hybrid identities, such as being Canadian-Armenian or Armenian-Lebanese, when respondents said, and I quote, recognizing that we are truly an amalgamation of all these parts is actually a very liberating feeling, also an empowering feeling. You kind of take control. You start defining what it is, end quote. Youth that I interviewed between the ages of 20 and 25 were particularly vocal about feeling Armenian and expressed how being Armenian is a very big part of their lives. One respondent told me, and I quote, even when I am talking to non-Armenians, my Armenianness shows, end quote. The importance of language, obviously, also um, was an important theme, and this particular um, quote stood out for me. Identity isn't only related to language, but if we want to create a magic pill for people to feel more Armenian, it is to learn the Armenian language, end quote. Another respondent said, Si on n'enseigne pas la langue à la future génération, c'est sûr que notre identité ne sera pas aussi solide. When it came to the role of the church, uh, the consensus among the majority of respondents seemed to be that the church has an enormous cultural value. However, it does not really hold um, the same value as an institution. One respondent said, Il y a plusieurs Arméniens qui ne ressentent plus cet attachement à l'Église, et moi non plus. Another respondent said the following, I have a purely cultural relationship with the religion. I don't even have a relationship with the church. I see the church as this obsolete thing. Clearly, there is a reason for it, the church. I just think that as a resource-strapped nation, I can think of a million better ways to resource things. There is no real functional purpose for why we are so intertwined with our church. Post-genocide, had it not been for the church, it would have been very difficult for us to convene around something. But we also have to be honest with ourselves. It's that same church that has splintered our diaspora into a million pieces. It has been a united, uniting force, but has absolutely been a splintering force. And this idea that this 1,700-year-old institution is in the same form and works in the same way and serves the same function is just ridiculous to me, end quote. And when asked about mixed marriage, most respondents had a very realistic view of it, and a number of respondents even framed mixed marriage as an opportunity, as opposed to a threat, emphasizing that Armenians need to be more inclusive and open to non-Armenians within the community and the schools. Political parties um, were seen as outdated by a few of the respondents. In fact, even those who uh, were engaged uh, with a particular political group or had political inclinations would find that becoming a sworn-in member of a political party uh, was this extreme um, act. When asked if diasporan leaders represent them and their concerns, the respondents' um, answers were a resounding no, nearly from all respondents, both those who were engaged and not. 
And in terms of how the diaspora can support Armenia, there was a consensus that it would ideally be a two-way street. However, at least half of the respondents expressed that there is a lack of dialogue and there needs to be more of a clear uh, map of what the expectations and needs are of each other. And it's not necessarily clearly identified. One respondent said that he believes that charity donations and money raising is important, but it is not the ultimate goal. And I quote, I get that it is needed, but it is not the norm. The norm needs to be of how we are going to connect 8 million people purposefully, end quote. There are between 30 and 50,000 Armenians in the Boston area where Dr. Pamela Young led our survey team in the 2018 pilot project. Many families settled there in the late 19th and early 20th centuries before the genocide, and the community is noted for its important and varied institutions, including newspapers, the National Association of Armenian Studies and Research, the Armenian Museum of America, many churches, schools, dance, and music classes. I wanted to share with you a little bit more about both the process that we used for carrying out the survey as well as the results that we found. So when we carried out the survey, we started out in the Boston metro area, and that included areas where there's high concentrations of Armenians in Watertown, Arlington, and Belmont, Massachusetts. And we also were able to reach out to those people who were considered themselves to be part of the Boston metro area, but also live up in the North Shore, so the Merrimack Valley area, as well as reaching down to the South Shore and the Cape Cod area, where many Armenians have also lived in the suburban parts. In terms of how we were able to reach Armenians, we did it through many different ways. We used social media and were posting and people were sharing that we were carrying out the survey. We also went to many, many events and asked people to fill out the survey, which they did. And then we just did it through word of mouth, um, just encouraging people to share it with people that they knew in order to get folks to fill out the survey. In terms of the results itself, what we found with the Boston Armenian diaspora community is that it really mirrors the Boston community as a whole. In that in the Boston area, it's a highly educated population. There's many universities and many businesses. And that we found was true as well with the Armenian diaspora community is that they were very highly educated. What we also found with the Armenians is they really volunteered their time both for Armenian activities as well as non-Armenian activities. Uh, Boston, again, is a very old and established Armenian community with many different Armenian organizations. And so people really volunteered their time uh, to these organizations and activities. Um, in terms of the ways in which Armenians really shared about being Armenian, um, you know, they have a lot of non-Armenian friends as well as Armenian friends. And what people did talk about was the fact that they talked about being Armenian with other people um, and shared their heritage with other people. Um, a few other things that really stuck out for me as part of the survey results is that uh, food is a very important part of um, the communities and the ways in which people reflect their Armenian identity. Many people talked about having some sort of mementos or cultural artifacts in their homes. 
Um, and that was a way in which they shared their Armenian identity. Uh, in terms of the future, it was very interesting what people were talking about in terms of the community and feeling like there was the need for visionary leadership. And also they talked about the need for having activities which were going to be geared towards young people in order to keep the Armenian community going in the future and having activities that really attracted uh, and met the interests and needs that young people have today. We hear now from Lucila Tosunyan, who did the interviewing in the 2019 survey in Argentina. Armenians have been in Argentina since the late 19th century, but since the arrival of genocide survivors in the 1920s, there have not been the same number of new arrivals as in many other places. In recent years, though, a new wave has been arriving from Armenia, as we will hear from Lucila. Estimates for the Armenian population of Argentina range between 50 and 100,000 people. Well, the interviews were conducted from September till December 2019. Half of the interviews were conducted with Armenians from Armenia. And this diversity of people uh, reflected different experiences of Armenianness in a community that has its own specific characteristic in South America, between Brazil, Uruguay, and Argentina mostly. Uh, the Armenians arrived uh, at the beginning of the 20th century. So you can find people of third or fourth generations of Armenians settled mainly in Buenos Aires city and also in Cordoba city and Rosario the three main cities where you can find at least organized communities, that you can find churches, schools, clubs, where social and cultural life takes place. When I did the interviews, there was a national election going on in our country. I had to be very careful. And also it was a moment of crisis. So crisis in the meaning that everyday life was really disrupted. This made some of the interviews harder to occur, mainly with the, the respondents that came from Armenia and they were remembering their life before in Armenia and afterwards when they came here and how they settled. This was something moving for them and for me. Uh, when talking about this diversity in the Armenianness, this woman told me, I will say it first in Spanish and then I translate it. La única diferencia es que nosotros no nos consideramos de la diáspora. Yo me considero Hayastansi. Yo soy Armenia. Yo no me considero alguien de afuera de Armenia, es decir, de la diáspora. The only difference is that we don't consider ourselves of the diaspora. I consider myself Hayastansi. I am Armenian. I don't consider myself as someone from outside of Armenia. I mean the diaspora. So you have these categories working, you know, in the identity, in everyday practices that differentiate the way people feel about Armenia or identify with Armenianness. 
And I think this diaspora and Armenia, the, the nation state, the people coming from that state here shows this differentiation that can't overcome and unify the Armenians in this community at, at least. That also for me represented these different experiences of Armenianness between the diasporic Armenians and the Hayastansi. This man told me when describing the diasporic Armenians, he said to me, they got together in a community to feel Armenian. And for him, this was pointless because he already feels Armenian. He doesn't voluntarily, in his words, have to be with someone else to feel Armenian. And this was uh, something that for me represented the experience of migration and the experience of the diaspora being settled here for quite a long time and how these people interact and perceive their differences. Not everybody wants to talk about it, but I perceived a differentiation between the Armenians from Armenia and the diasporic Armenians. Most of them were relegated to cultural practices that they found really different. What is to be Armenian? I mean, this is the strong question that everybody wants to answer, because if you have institutions or clubs which a membership only implies Armenian people, what is to be Armenian? Is it to be at the institutions, gather with other Armenian people? You know, what is it? Do you def define that person as Armenian or only by origin, blood or purity? And well, we can go on, go on. I would say it's a non-existent topic in the interviews is the gender issue. I thought it would come up at least that in the leadership positions in organizations, you wouldn't, you can't see women. You don't see women at all. Uh, some of, of the women are organized in other type of organizations like home. There are specific activities for women in the organizations and then in the leadership positions, you don't see any of them. I think it's something that has to be talked about in the community. It's like a taboo, but it would be better if someone at least brings the subject to the table. There are indeed a number of overlooked subjects that need more attention, and we hope that the Diaspora Survey also sparks discussions within the different diaspora communities. Sadly, we aren't able to visit all diaspora communities with our teams, and so we encourage people to raise these questions with each other across their own communities. It's important to find out about each other, have dialogues, and question some of the descriptions of the diaspora and diasporan Armenians that have become accepted as norms. If you would like to learn more about the Armenian Diaspora Survey, the places visited and the findings, please visit the website. And if you live in the UK, Paris, Brussels, or Rostov-on-Don, you can still take part in the 2021 survey before it closes at the end of June. Just visit the website, www.armeniandiasporasurvey.com and you will find the questionnaire there in several languages. To hear more podcasts from the Armenian Institute, you can visit our website or search Zanazan Sounds on all major streaming platforms. Thank you for listening to this podcast. 
We hope you will join us again.